This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The nightmares plagued him, as did the scars on his back. He could still feel them burning. Every bright light and faint sound made him jump. And when he returned, the nightmares and the scars were the closest things to memories he had. He reached out on the internet for answers. He started a blog and posted his story. He spent hours doing research about abductions. He knew with every fiber of his being that he was one of them, the Taken. He didn't think that there was a terror greater than what he believed had happened to him, and probably many others. That was until they came. They told him that they knew what had happened to him, and that they believed him. He thought they were there to help him, but then the threats came. They told him to delete his blog, make no more posts, and keep his mouth shut. They said that if he did not comply, he would lose more than three days of his life because they would come back and end what was left of it. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing the Men in Black, not the protectors of the universe, but the evil version. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Beacon had never been scared of anything in his whole life. He was raised on a farm in Georgia by his grandma and grandpa, who were two of the toughest people he knew. His mom had taken off after his first birthday said she was too young to be a mother and wanted to see the world. That was 15 years ago, and they hadn't heard from her since. Beacon didn't care. Caring would be weak. Her leaving made him tough. He grew up throwing bells of hay, swimming in any water hole he could find, and catching snakes regardless of their breed. He got a dirt bike when he was 10, and was building ramps as high as he could the first week. He liked things that were dangerous. It gave him a rush to know that he could die, but always managed to survive. In a way, it made him feel alive. Sure, he had broken his arm twice, his leg once, and had two concussions and three cracked ribs. But those just gave him bragging rights. He was a proud, reckless daredevil. So when his grandpa woke him up to hunt for the cows that had escaped in the middle of the night during a storm, he didn't hesitate. He threw on his overalls and boots and hurried downstairs. 
The cows had gotten out before and usually ended up at the neighboring farm in the cornfield. Beacon would just lead them back home with a bowl of candy corn, which seemed to be their favorite treat. There were only seven of them since the last auction, so they would be easy to lure back. His grandpa was waiting outside and already had the side-by-side -side fired up. They usually took the four-wheelers, but tonight the roof would be nice to repel some of the rain. They headed out the gate and down the long gravel lane that connected both farms. Lightning made a beautiful continuous web across the sky, lighting their way past the reach of the headlights. They found the tracks right away and right where they expected. Those cows were so predictable. Grandpa didn't even have to tell Beacon what to do next. He just jumped off of the ATV and headed west down a row of corn just to the left of the tracks they could see in the mud. He would find the cows and lure them out of the field with the candy corn. Once back on the road, Grandpa would use the side-by-side -side to herd them down the lane and back to their pasture. Easy enough, they had done it many times before. Beacon tiptoed through the corn to keep from startling them. He thought he could hear them shuffling through the field. Cutting his way through an exceptionally thick row, he stumbled on something and fell, nearly spilling the contents of the bowl onto the ground. Putting his hand on his knee, he pushed himself back up but was blinded by a brilliant bright light, sending a numbing pain ripping through his skull. Beacon grabbed both sides of his head, sending candy corn flying in every direction. He crumbled back down on his knees. He could feel the mud soaking through his coveralls. He tried to open his eyes, but the pain was too intense. Losing control of his body, he could feel his limbs go limp. Falling backwards, he landed on the wet ground with his legs curled beneath him. He didn't see it as much as he sensed it, but when he finally was able to open his eyes, the blinding light was gone. He was staring up at the sky and could again see the lightning threading its way through the dark clouds. He couldn't move at first. He just lay there covered in mud in the dark, waiting, but for what he wasn't sure. He just began to realize that his memory was just out of reach. He couldn't remember where he was or why he was there. Staring at the sky, completely lost, struggling to find his way back, Beacon suddenly realized he was not alone. There were faces staring down at him. One moment he could only see the sky and the cornstalks, and the next these faces appeared from nowhere. They weren't normal faces either. They were larger, much larger than a human face, and a shiny gray in color. Their features were all messed up too. Their eyes were large and black, reminding him of a fly. Their mouths were long curved slits just above a pointed chin. He couldn't tell at first if they even had a nose until he saw a small hole in the middle of their faces, with a patch of skin that moved in and out something like a fish's gill. Beacon began to laugh, softly at first. The creatures gazed down at him curiously. The laughter began to build in his chest and soon became uncontrollable. He stopped abruptly when he felt a cold, wet hand touch his cheek. His eyes went wide and he watched as the creature ran its gray fingers across his cheek before suddenly shoving them into his mouth. Gagging and coughing, Beacon realized 
that if this was a dream, it might be his last. That was his final thought before drifting off into a deep, deep sleep. This episode is sponsored by Body Art Forms. I am a huge fan of body art, so I was excited when I discovered Body Art Forms, a tiny Texas company that sells body jewelry to people like me. They are a small business that have served the pierced and modified community since 2001. I found a wide selection of jewelry on their website, and not just for piercings. When I placed my first order, it took less than a week for it to arrive in the mail, and I was pleased with each piece. Everything came in neat individual packages. Body Art Forms is driven by three major factors. They strive to give the best customer service, they believe in careers and make sure all their employees earn a living wage. 20% of all profits go to charitable causes. At Body Art Forms can be found on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Pinterest. You can check out their diverse selection at bodyartforms.com. That's B-O-D-Y-A-R-T-F-O-R-M-S dot com. Just enter the coupon code FREAKY at checkout for 15% off any purchase. Thanks to Columbia Pictures, just about everyone has heard of the best-kept secret in the universe, the Men in Black. Working for a highly funded government agency, the Men in Black provide immigration services and are regulators of all things alien on Earth. But did you know that The Men in Black may be more than a fictional story created for the big screen? The story began on June 27, 1947, with a man, a boy, and a dog on a boat. Harold Dahl, along with his son and the family dog, was on a conservation mission on the Puget Sound, near the eastern shore of Washington's Maury Island, gathering logs when he saw six donut-shaped obstacles hovering about half a mile above his boat. As he watched, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, raining down metallic debris, some of which hit his son Charles on the arm, as well as the dog, which was killed due to the ordeal. Dahl luckily was able to take some pictures of the aircraft with his camera, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Crisman, Crisman was skeptical and later went back to the scene to look for himself and saw the strange aircraft with his own eyes. The following morning, Dahl claimed to be visited by a man in a black suit. They ended up at a local diner where the man was able to recount in perfect detail what Dahl had just experienced. Dahl was told to never speak of the experience or else bad things would happen. Who are the real men in black? Everyone in the paranormal lovers community wants to know. Depending on who you ask, they are either a crazy conspiracy theory or a secret government agency designed to prevent the public from learning about UFOs. The men in black always appear unannounced with uncanny knowledge, wearing black suits and black sunglasses. While they appear to vary in race and ethnicity, their build is usually the same. They look to be between 170 and 190 pounds, between early 30s and late 50s, with their hair cut low, and they never appear to have scars, tattoos, or body piercings. They warn people to give up their pursuit for answers or face god-awful consequences. 
Many accounts say that the mysterious men claim to have seen aliens or may even be aliens themselves, if not some other form of demonic supernaturals. So what is the big deal? Why would our government want to hide the information that they have about UFOs? In theory, it is because aliens are much closer than anyone may think. They may actually be everywhere and have been for a very long time. They may even be working with our government, or they could be a threat that once leaked to the general population could cause mass hysteria and a breakdown of social order. They may intend to enforce malevolent purposes of the government or any of the various non-government organizations. They may have ties with the Illuminati, an ancient secret society. According to these conspiracy theory claims, the men in black always show up in helicopters, cars, and vans, and many times in the most desolate parts of the world. When they think they are on the verge of being discovered, they show up to snuff the likelihood by whatever means necessary, including espionage, sabotage, and even assassination. They will go to any lengths to suppress threats to their secrecy. Unlike the movies with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, the original Men in Black are not the good guys. They are an evil and diabolical organization who are very dangerous with limitless power. Some people even believe that they may work for an extraterrestrial organization run by aliens and may be aliens themselves. They could be the reason that people go missing and turn up later, different than how they left. Could an alien race be working with our government? It has been claimed by many that this is so. Their goals may be abduction for experiments, but also government cover-ups, or worse. The facts about the behavior of the men in black are few and are well known, but one common characteristic is that they always show up in pairs. Their emotions are described by witnesses as having only two variations. They either act giggly and smile a lot like maniacs, or they show zero emotion at all, and the two emotions never appear in the same pair. The men in black do not seem to display any sort of superhuman abilities. Rather, they possess advantageous access to advanced, perhaps alien, technology. Even though they have shown no signs of power, they may be using the power of shape-shifting to achieve their human appearance. Their intelligence may range in a realm high enough to disguise themselves using voice mimicking and language assimilation. So how did we get from Harold Dahl in 1947 to Will Smith 50 years later in 1997. After the 1947 incident, the accounts of men in black suits who have some connection to UFOs escalated. The most famous such account came from Albert K. Bender, who in 1952 created the International Flying Saucer Bureau. Soon afterward, he said he was visited by three men in dark suits who threatened him with imprisonment if he continued his inquiries into UFOs. Bender's account was featured in They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, a book by IFSB associate Gray Baker, who also mentioned it frequently in his magazine The Saucerian. 
Albert K. Bender was born in Duryea, Pennsylvania on June 16, 1921. Bender served in the U.S. Army Air Force during World War II from June 8, 1942 to October 7, 1943 as a stateside dental technician. After his honorable discharge from active service at Langleyfield, Virginia, Bender relocated to Bridgeport with his mother Ellen and stepfather Michael Ardolino. The family lived at 784 Broad Street. According to Bender, the men in black arrived in Bridgeport during 1953. They appeared at his Broad Street home, just a few hundred yards from the main library. A decade after his own brush with aliens, Bender chronicled his strange personal story. Albert stressed how the dark-suited visitors were mind-manipulating silencers. Gray Barker was an American writer best known for his books about UFOs and other paranormal phenomena. His book, previously mentioned, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, may have been the first introduction to the Men in Black UFO folklore. In truth, Barker was skeptical of most UFO claims and mainly wrote for financial gain. He even planned and participated in hoaxes to deceive investigators. In an article, Gray Barker, My Friend the Mythmaker, John C. Sherwood claims that in the late 1960s at the age of 18, he cooperated when Gray Barker urged him to develop a hoax, which Barker subsequently published about what Barker called black men, three mysterious UFO inhabitants who silenced Sherwood's pseudonymous identity. The mythology of the men in black may have been partially a hoax created by Gray Barker, but the experiences of Harold Dahl that day in his boat were real. From that day in 1947, the Men in Black began to feed imaginations and eventually inspired a series of comic books. The Men in Black, a black and white series from writer Lowell Cunningham and artist Sandy Carruthers, ran for an initial run of three issues in 1990 and was given another three-issue run the next year. However, despite the characters having the same names or code names as their movie quasi-counterparts, the similarities don't extend much further than the black suits, sunglasses, and otherworldly antagonists. Seven years later in 1997, the American science fiction action comedy film was released by Columbia Pictures. This is where the Men in Black, as we know them today, began. In 50 years, the Men in Black folklore grew from an event that changed one man's life forever to a multi-million dollar movie franchise. The Men in Black evolved from an evil secret organization to protectors of the universe. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. 
June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Frank was distraught when he could not find Beacon. He sent his grandson out into the cornfield alone to lure out some stray cows, but it was something they had done countless times over the years. He never imagined that anything could happen, but it had. Beacon never returned. When Frank went to search for him, he was nowhere to be found. He found the bowl with candy corn spilled all over the ground, but no sign of his grandson. He was afraid for a moment that he had got struck by lightning. Frank had seen the flash of light so bright he had to cover his eyes, but if that had been the case, he would have found Beacon injured or worse. The sheriff's office wouldn't even let him file a report until 24 hours had lapsed, but they did offer to come out and help look. They found nothing. There was no trace of Beacon. It was well after sunrise the next day when friends, family, and neighbors began to arrive, all volunteering to help search the fields for any trace of the teenager. Frank, sitting on his four-wheeler getting ready to head up the search, explained to everyone the last place that Beacon had been seen and the events that had happened the night before. After each team was appointed an area, they began to disperse. But before they even left the yard, Frank spotted a figure walking down the drive towards the farmhouse. He had been squinting, but suddenly his eyes grew wide, and he yipped with excitement. Cranking the four-wheeler, Frank sped down the drive while everyone watched curiously. Moments later, he returned, with Beacon sitting on the seat beside him. Everyone was excited and began exchanging relieved embraces until someone asked, What's wrong with him? The crowd got quiet, and they all looked at the young boy. He was staring vacantly out into the cornfield, oblivious of what was going on around him. His clothing and skin were caked in mud, making his dark skin look white. They would have to get answers later. Frank's wife Margie shoved her way through the crowd and hugged her grandson tight. She was sobbing when Frank pulled her away from him, long enough to pull Beacon off of the four-wheeler. Wrapping their arms around him, they ushered him into the house. Frank came out on the porch a while later and thanked everyone for coming and told them he would let them know more as soon as he knew something himself. For now, Beacon was not talking to anyone. It took them both to get him bathed and dressed, still in silence. He was not only quiet, but vacant and unresponsive to questions or commands. Once Beacon was clean and dressed, they helped him into bed. He didn't resist. He laid down quietly and stared at the ceiling. Frank and Margie were worried, and they talked about it over dinner, even though they neither one really ate anything. 
They had called the sheriff's office and told them that Beacon was home, and then called Frank's best friend Ted, who was a local doctor. Ted promised to come out first thing in the morning, unless the boys showed any sign of distress that night. So the older couple reluctantly went to bed and worried through a long sleepless night. Beacon woke to the smell of bacon wafting through the air. His stomach rumbled loudly. It felt like he hadn't eaten in days. Stumbling out of bed, he headed downstairs to the kitchen. He found his grandma in the kitchen cooking. When she saw him walk through the door, she dropped the spatula she had been using to flip the bacon right onto the floor. She didn't even bother to pick it up as she rushed across the kitchen to give him a huge hug. Grandma, you act like you haven't seen me in ages, Beacon laughed. What is wrong with you? He could see the look of shock and relief play across her face, but she just patted him on the cheek and ordered him to come sit down. His grandpa came in the back door a few minutes later and just stood and stared at him until Grandma walked over and whispered something in his ear. He smiled down at her and gave her a kiss on the cheek before pouring a cup of coffee and sitting down at the table across from Beacon. They watched as he scarfed down six eggs and almost half a pound of bacon. He always ate well, but today he felt ravenous. He paid no attention to his grandparents watching him intently. After breakfast, Beacon went back upstairs to get ready to help his grandpa with the farm work. They had a routine, and if he was honest, he loved spending time with his grandpa. He almost forgot to brush his teeth, and as he ran back into the bathroom to grab his toothbrush, a dizzy sensation overwhelmed him and brought him to his knees. He suddenly found himself in what felt like a twister of memories as he gripped the edge of the toilet until his knuckles turned white. He was unsure how long he stayed like that, but the information pouring through his brain was a sensory overload. When it finally eased up, he got sick and threw up most of his breakfast. Beacon washed his face with a cold rag and staggered back to the edge of the bed to sit down. There he sat and went over the images in his head. He remembered the cornfield, the lost cows, and the storm, but he also remembered some other things. These other memories were strange, but they were real, he knew they were. He remembered laying on a cold table with tubes running out of his sides between his ribs. He also remembered several strange faces staring down at him. He reached to his side with his fingers and rubbed the little bumps that he found there, proof that his memories were real. Beacon didn't say anything to his grandparents, and later when the doctor showed up, he assured him that he was fine. He told them that he had got disoriented in the storm and had gotten lost. He knew his grandparents didn't believe his story, but they didn't press him. Over the next several weeks, he had nightmares and flashbacks. He knew that if he told anyone about them, they would think he was crazy. He had been told that he had been missing for almost an entire day. He couldn't account for his time. He had memories of creatures with tubes running from his body to something that must have been machines. He knew with every ounce of his being that he had been abducted by aliens. He took to the internet and began searching for answers, and he found hundreds of others with the same kinds of stories, many of them identical. 
Finally, he stumbled upon a podcast. It was a man who had been abducted calling for others to stand up and tell their stories. He said the government knew about these things and continued to allow them to happen. Beacon listened and began to feel angry and violated. The man was right. He didn't ask for this, and God knows what those things had done to him. At the end of the podcast was an email to contact the man if you believe you have been abducted by aliens. Beacon grabbed a pen and paper and scribbled the information down. He shoved it into his jean pockets and waited until he was alone in his room later that night to take it out and begin his email. Two days went by and no reply had come to his email. He began to feel alone and the once brave teenager began to feel paranoia. He felt like he was being watched at school and even when he was working in the fields with his grandpa. He was in the barn early one morning loading a bale of hay when he heard the barn door swing open. He jumped at the sound and dropped the bale of hay before he could reach the ATV with it. Angry at himself for acting like a coward, he cursed as he reached with the hooks to pick the bell back up. But a shadow fell over his shoulder and darkened the ground. Beacon spun around swinging the hooks in a defensive move, and a strong hand reached out and caught him by the wrist, stopping him. He tried to yank away, but the grip was like steel. Two men were standing in the light of the barn door. He couldn't make out their faces well, but he could see that they were dressed in identical black suits and what looked like the exact same style of sunglasses. Beacon tried again to pull his arm back, but the grip the man had on his arm was inhuman. The man slowly pulled him towards him until their noses almost touched. We have business to discuss. We will talk and you will listen. A chill ran down Beacon's spine. He didn't know why, but for the first time in his life, he felt pure terror. He tried one more time to free his arm, but this time the man let loose his grip and Beacon flew backwards, landing on the bell of hay. With the wind knocked out of him, he couldn't move for several minutes. Finally catching his breath, he looked back up at the menacing pair and asked, What do you want from me? The second man spoke this time. That is easy. We want your silence. Beacon frowned, looking confused for a moment, but then it dawned on him what the man was talking about. The first man spoke again as they seemed to take turns or even share the same brain. You will cease to speak of your so-called abduction. You will never write about it or share it with another human being. If you fail to do, and then the second man finished his sentence, as we say, you will pay a price higher than your simple mind is capable of imagining. Beacon nodded in agreement. He could feel the threat in their words just as clearly as he could hear them, and without another word the two men turned in perfect unison and walked away. Beacon watched as they walked out the barn door and the sun lit up their faces. He could have sworn that he saw a million tiny worms crawling beneath their skin. He sat there on the barn floor staring at the doorway in horror. Finally shaking the incident off the best he could, he got up and loaded the hay. 
Heading out to the field, the fear began to wane. He told himself he was being stupid, but he was having trouble convincing himself completely. That night, Beacon listened to the podcast on his laptop again, and afterwards he sent a more adamant, longer email, and this time he wrote about the men in black. He mentioned how they had threatened him and told him not to ever speak of it again. Just then a chill ran down his spine, realizing he was doing just that. For some reason, though, Beacon was terrified of the two men and believed they would make good on their promise. He had to tell someone. So leaving all logic and reason behind, he sent the email. Another 24 hours went by and he finally got a reply. It told him to be careful and that those men were more dangerous than he could imagine. It also let him know that those beings were less than human and as such could do unspeakable things without conscience. The hair on his neck stood straight up. The email had called them beings. The more he read, the more he needed answers. The man behind the message had been through the same thing as him. The tubes, the loss of time, all of it. Apparently they were not the only ones to face the horrors and the strange terrifying men. Beacon wanted to understand everything he was going through. He wanted to speak to some of the others like him. He needed to know that he wasn't crazy and that the memories he had was as real as they felt. He sent another email one that in his opinion defied everything that kept him safe. Safety at this point was not as important as knowing the truth. He asked the man if he could meet him. The reply came quicker than he expected. It told Beacon that would be possible. All he would have to do is pick a place and give the man a few days. He didn't give his real name. He just said for now to call him John. So Beacon thought for a few minutes then decided the old Griffin farm a few miles away would be perfect. John answered back quickly and agreed he would be there at 3 o'clock p.m. on Friday. The days felt like years to Beacon. He could barely focus on work and the dreams were getting worse. He hoped that this John person might have a remedy for the problem. Finally, Friday came. Beacon didn't sleep much Thursday night. He had far too much anticipation. At 2.25 p.m., he rushed down the stairs. He told his grandparents he was running to town to hang out for a bit. They were happy with this idea, thinking everything was getting back to normal. Beacon jumped on his ATV and headed south towards the meeting destination. As he turned into the driveway, he saw that the old house and barn were more run down than he remembered. There was an old Volkswagen van sitting by the house. He was happy that John had got there already as well. Beacon turned off the ATV and walked towards the van. There was no one inside, so he walked towards the house. He yelled out, John, are you here? No one responded. Just then he turned and realized the barn door was slightly ajar. He walked over and pulled the door which creaked loudly as it came open. As he walked in, the weight of the unleveled door caused it to creak mostly shut behind him. He could see the outline of someone standing toward the back. As Beacon's eyes began to adjust to the dark, they opened wide with shock and fear. Standing there, 
were the two men in black suits from that day. They stepped forward towards him and said in unison, You should have listened to us, Beacon. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Unexplained Encounters, Tales from the Break Room, and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, Remember, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we talk about the legend of Boggy Creek, a legend that lives and dwells in the Ozarks of Arkansas. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.